Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water, the podcast. Not to be confused with the movie. That's a little that's a little joke for you. That's a little comedy. There is no movie, you know? It's a little that's a little bit of that's a little bit of an attempt at comedy. I don't know, I'm not feeling very sparkly today. I'm I don't feel very good, man. Okay, let's try to talk honestly about this. I don't feel very good. Let's try to describe it. I think one of the things is like this. I never feel good. So because of that, I thrive in any situation. No, I thrive in any period of time where the expectation is that you're not supposed to feel good. So at work for like October, November, December, work was really, really hard. And it was like a time when everyone, all 10 people in the management team felt shitty because we were so overworked. So we were like all on the same page. And I think I really enjoyed all of us at least having a feeling of connectedness in feeling shitty. And then my problem is that those periods when there's like a, this is the period when we're supposed to feel shitty and it has an end. And then after that, we're supposed to chill out. The problem is that then I hit the next period where, you know, I hit the end of the be- of the period where we're expecting ourselves to suffer a little bit. And then that's where the problems start because then January 1st hits and everything gets really quiet and work is a lot easier and everyone else is feeling a lot better and everyone's getting a lot of rest and stuff. And then I'm out here like, wow, okay, well, I still feel shitty because I always feel shitty because like, that's just like me, you know, I just always feel fucking terrible, dude. I don't know. I could just cry right now. It's weird. And I mean, the the whole thing is the same. It's the same thing with how I've always struggled with just a work week. Because a work week is like you work for five days and then you have two days off. And like it really reminds me of my friendship with Luke because the thing him and me would talk about every every single day would be like, we were terrified of having a day off because that's the period when you're expecting yourself to feel a little bit good. But the five days of work are fine because you're supposed to keep your head down and you're supposed to not like it too much. And everything is like shitty and it's supposed to be shitty. Like work is not supposed to be fun. So when you're not having fun, it's all good. And then you have a day off and it's like, suddenly there's this like deep black abyss with yourself that you have to face. And everyone else is like having a good time. And now I'm experiencing that on like a macro level where like there's like a multi-period, multi-month period of hard work that's supposed to not be very fun and I didn't have a lot of fun. And then... Actually, I did have fun because I experienced a feeling of connectedness with suffering with other people, which is like to someone who always suffers, that's like one of the best things we can get. Like it doesn't get much better than that. We suffer, but at least we suffer with people. And then that, I mean, and that's what my whole friendship with Luke was about. And he would always be like, he would always describe it as, 
he would always shit on me for having other friends than him, which is like a weird cycle of abuse thing of wanting to isolate your friend. <laughs> and then he'd he, he'd always use the term fair weather friends and be like, those are just your fair weather friends that you're just friends with when you feel good. But like, I'm your real friend where we like, we like our friends when we feel shitty. And it's true, you know, like him and me were very intimate, real friends because we fucking suffer and then we talk about it and then we feel the same as each other and then we have this gentle very 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 um weak but still existing feeling of good that comes from at least feeling connected to someone as you feel bad like you feel bad and at least you find someone else who feels bad god it's like the feeling of self uh, loathing right now from just how uninteresting is this you know like I'm repeating myself it's not anything you know it's just this but it's like yeah I had three days off last week I just had this long weekend and in a way I want to give myself a little bit of I want to give approach myself with some grace here and be like I don't, like, it's weird for me to expect to feel great about having three days off when when there's this problem <clears throat> that I always talk about in all the different episodes about how we exist in the context of each other. And if we need the healthy way, the healthy thing to live your life is to exist on someone else's time. Like, if you have time off, you need to make sure to be on a schedule where all your friends also have a time off, also have time off so that you have a context. Because this idea that you just like, bro, I have no context. I have three days off and I just sit at my house for three days. Also, it's like winter and it's rainy and there's these crazy storms every day. And just like these, all the roads are closed. Like I tried to go have dinner today with Javi and every single restaurant is closed because the weather is so crazy and there are mudslides everywhere. So no staff can get to work. So all, like the first three restaurants that we went to were closed. So then I ended up, oh God, then I ended up going to Lola at the National Exchange Hotel, which is the sister concept to the place where I work. And I experienced a little bit of alienation there because it's interesting, like... <laughs> Okay, so this is kind of interesting. There is something weird to... God, this is something you can't relate to if you haven't been in the situation. And if you're a youngster, you haven't. But anyone who's had like a number of jobs or whatever, at some point you end up in a situation where you're in an office or a department or something, and then there's other departments that do the same or similar things that you do, but they're in a different location and they're just like a different branch of what you are. So like when I worked for the Swedish Chamber of Commerce in Beijing, there was also a Swedish Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai. And it's so funny because you end up, it's so universal. Like I've, I've done this in so many different jobs where you are in an office, you're at a job, and then there's a different office of the same company. And so you're aware of all the people in there. Like you see their names in emails because emails go out to everyone sometimes. So you just, you become aware of their names and some of the people around you have met those people. And maybe if you stick around long enough, 
once a year you meet those people, but you never meet those people enough to like develop a rapport with them. So there's always this weird like sibling. It it nah sibling rivalry is really the wrong word because siblings are close and you're not close but there's just like this weird feeling of alienation when you have a team of 10 people and there's another group of 10 people it's almost like you feel alienated because it it's like um you worry everyone worries on some level that you're just a copy or like that you're reproduce like you're totally replaceable and you worry it's almost like we all worry that the 10 of us were 10 different characters. We worry that we're just 10 different archetypes and that all the other offices are the same 10 people that look and sound the same, but they're like a little bit off. And it's just so alienating to realize that every office is the same 10 archetypes. So like now um, I work at this one hotel with a restaurant in the hotel. So there's like... <laughs> It's just two sister concepts where there's a whole, <laughs> there's like a hotel management team, a restaurant management team. There's restaurant workers, hotel workers. There's a kitchen, there's kitchen management. There's all the line cooks. There's just everything is the same. And there's just duplicates of everyone. <laughs> and it's so, I don't know why I experienced it as so alienating, but... I don't think I'm the weird one here. And I think everyone experiences it like this. And I think there's this feeling where you just feel competitive. You feel competitive in a really unhealthy... It's it's really negative, actually. It's always really negative. Like you pretend like it's not because you just do your job and everything. But your feeling towards the other people in the other office, it's always it's always weird and negative and you just feel like uh, there's something about that uncanny valley of how you know some stuff about them, but you don't know enough about them and you don't spend enough like actual face-to-face time with them to realize that they're nice people. You just get these like very, very arm's length interactions with people in the other office. And for some reason, it leads to a universal sense of disgust. Like we always feel a sense of disgust because there's some fear that there's that everything is like a Ray Bradbury novel, some sci-fi thing where you're just you're an you're an android. Like we're afraid of being an android. And it you're you're afraid of walking into that office and realizing that like you're the zero point eight version of something, and in the other office they have the zero point nine version, so you're the same, but they have a slightly better haircut. And it's like, that's it. And you're just a copy. And that's that's what we feel. And then today I went to the sister concept and it's like, yeah, I just felt that, you know, I just felt like I know these people and we don't actually do small talk and it's just an uncanny valley and I felt alienated and then it ended with a really bad interaction and and it was it was actually really dreamlike because I knew everyone in the building. It felt like like everyone dining there, everyone patronizing the place works for the corporation that I work for. So wherever I looked, people would like lock eyes with me and we'd just nod at each other like, oh yeah, hey, how are you? You're here too. And and it's like, yeah, it, it's not that chill, you know?
on your day off to go and sit sit in the other like kitty corner from everyone you sort of work with and then it doesn't help to be like i don't know just you know dealing with i don't even think mental health issues is really the right word i just i'm just not that happy you know i'm just kind of unhappy all the time i'm just kind of sad all the time all the time. So let's drink some really, really terrible sparkling water. So for this episode, I'm doing three waters that are shitty grocery store chain sparkling water. So the first one here, Market Pantry. I don't know. Is that from Target? Probably. Strawberry Lemonade Sparkling Water. Wow. I feel lobotomized right now. Like I feel like there was a lobotomy. Yeah, that's quite good. That's quite good. I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, that's not watery enough to get a high score, but that's a 7 out of 10. And that's all good. I feel like I've been talking about these storms like every episode for for weeks and weeks now. But the problem is that there have been storms for weeks and weeks. And I have Tuesday, Wednesday off every week. And the storm is always Tuesday, Wednesday. So my days off are always like ruined by... All the roads being fucked up, all plans being canceled, and me just being cooped up in my house. And this time around, my internet connection is kind of fucked up. Like, and not completely. It's like the, the, oh, it's like a 90s thing. It's like a 90s internet experience or a China internet experience, which is worse than nothing. Because if your internet just breaks, you stop trying and you go do something else. But dealing with really, really slow internet, like the Chinese internet is is actually, I found it extremely fascinating. And I wish, I wish there was more like someone that actually looked into it because it's all so vague and Chinese people have this feeling like they're not allowed to talk about it. So they don't like, there's a great sort of society-wide level of self-censorship in China and so no one really talks about what it feels like behind the Chinese firewall. But like when you try to do stuff that foreigners do, like Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, those things first weren't blocked. Like in 2006, nothing was blocked and then they became blocked. But before they blocked them, they did this thing where they just made those websites slow. And when those websites are slow, the person using them, it's such a smart way. Like it's it's like... um dictatorship by ux design instead of dictatorship by censorship it's so fucking genius because if you want to go to a website where they're going to incite you into doing some sort of a rebellion against your dictatorship government and that website is blocked then you become angry and you like tell all your friends oh this website is blocked but if they just make that website kind of slow but eventually it loads but it doesn't really like some of the images don't load properly because it's so slow and then next time you go on there it like eventually it just times out but really like so much happens just in them you know like the ux design in amazon they always talk about how like if it doesn't load in like a certain sort of 0.08 seconds you've you've so many people have an idea of what they want to purchase and they go on Amazon. And if it doesn't load in the first 0.08 seconds, Amazon per 
they will lose like trillions and billions billions of dollars because like more than 50% of people will just lose interest in that second and ask themselves like, do I really need to be doing, like, do I really need to spend money on that? But if you make the whole UX design process completely fluid and seamless, then you have the idea for what you want to buy. You turn to your computer and then you just, you're on this like water slide all the way to the cart, all the way to the checkout, all the way to the fucking free shipping, all the way to the orders placed. And you didn't even notice. And you, at no point were you given an opportunity to ask yourself like, do I really need to spend money on another phone case or like little feet for the bottom of my furniture or like another hook or like, you know, a hook for something to hang stuff on, you know? Like, do I really need this? But so, <clears throat> Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party is way more like Amazon than Nazi Germany. And they know that. And they know that if they take Facebook and they just make it like, what if you just have to wait two seconds before it gets going? No one is going to use it. And then no one used it. And then when they got it to a point when no one used Facebook or YouTube or Instagram, they just blocked it completely. And at that point, it's like, Everyone was using a native uh, version. It's so fucking smart. And then my point of what I was saying about this is like the experience of being someone where you're from a foreign country and you can't swap away from Facebook because everyone you know is on Facebook. So it doesn't help you to go on fucking Doban. Your friends are not on Doban. Networking effect has a, you know, there's a lock-in effect for the networking thing. So... So you sit there and you suffer and it's like just having an internet that doesn't work is way better. But but now the last two days, my internet has just been like very strange where certain things work and somehow the storm fucked up a couple of cable lines so that, yeah, I don't know. It's very reminiscent of Shanghai 2008, this internet connection I have right now. And I just wish it didn't work so I could sit down and read a book. But instead I watch, I stream TV and every eight seconds it just stops for a second. And it's like, what's more painful than that? And then in that second, it's like, in that second, it's almost like you peek behind the kimono and you, like the, you face yourself, like you really face yourself in your own demons like you watch eight seconds of Rick and Morty and then there's one second where it stalls. And in that second, it's like there's a little rip in the paper fabric, the Joss paper screen of reality. And you peek through it and behind it, it's like just hell, you know? It's just like demons torturing innocent souls and just like flames and just people on fire and people screaming. And then Rick and Morty picks back up and you're like, and you watch for eight seconds and you're chilling and you're good again. And then one second it like stops. And for that second again, you're just there with your suffering again. And it's like, you just see it all. You just see it all so clearly how much you hate yourself and how much you hate everything. And then it picks back up. And it's like, bro, what is this? This is a raw deal. This is a raw deal. You know, I had this funny realization today, which is like, I did a bunch of meditating and then for one part of it, I was trying to do stuff and meditate. Like I would, 
meditate and water my plants and I would do it really, really slowly and try to like be there for it. And for one part, I was trying to like eat candy while meditating. Which, you know, for that to be a real attempt at actually meditating while eating candy, you really got to like put on a timer, make it a 10 minute timer and give yourself three pieces of candy. And then you sit and you like eat the candy and eat each eat each piece of candy for three minutes, you know, like eat it so slowly and really, really be there for it and really taste it. And it's crazy, man, because like when you do that, you realize you don't even like candy, man. Candy is, like, candy is so sweet. Candy is way too sweet. And I love candy. I'm such a sugar lizard. But if I pay attention, I love candy because I'm not paying attention. If I pay attention, man, it's terrible. And then you can draw all these, you know, you can draw all these, not conclusions, but you can just draw all these, like, other thoughts from that where you can be like, well, so all the people who like just complicated, bitter stuff? Are they just more present? Are they just better people? Are their brains just more like attuned to the moment? And that's probably true. And then people who, when you eat, man, yes, uh, last week I, I had, um, not KFC, what's the other one? Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen, which is something that, there's a, there's an episode of the podcast where I talk for an, like an hour and a half about trying to find one in China. And yeah. And, but so because I had this big experience about it in China and, and didn't really eat it, I have this, I, I think that I like it. It has a lot of, what is that? Like, what is it? Why, what is it that makes me like something? It's so like when I have a good impression of a brand or something, Man, that's sticky. And that stays. And it's like, I don't know. And I and I look at myself and I look at my own opinion of a brand or something. And I'm honest about it. And I'm like, dude, you're such an idiot. Like, where does that come from? Is that grounded in any kind of reality? Like, I, I recently switched um, from Samsung to Apple pretty much just because, I mean, it's really helpful in America to be texting. Like when you here up in the mountains, you have terrible reception a lot of time, but you have Wi-Fi. And then a lot of these Americans have no apps. They just take a phone out of the box and they text with what's on the phone from the factory and they didn't add anything. So for those texting those people and they have iPhones, you have to use iMessage, which works over I, I, Wi-Fi. So I just decide like... There's something, there's some sort of ego death, you know, there's some sort of like really healthy self-obliteration with realizing that you, like brand loyalty is really a fucking tumor. Like if you have any kind of brand loyalty in you to anything, pretty much, you should probably sit with that and you should probably just like open that clenched fist and just let go of it and just let all that brand loyalty just slip between your fingers and then just be because like that is a weird form of like capitalist brainwashing that we that we allow like because I just it's aesthetics like there's something about the aesthetics of it where like I just I don't know and the phones are such an interesting one like I used to uh, <laughs> this like really immature contrarian thing in me made it so for a long time there I had a Windows phone and just because no one else did. 
And a Windows phone is super um, customizable. So I customized the shit out of it, and I had everything. I had like I listened to music on a Zune player software on a Windows phone. Like no, no one uses Zune. <laughs> Just because I want it to be special, you know? And I don't know, man. When And all of it is just aesthetics and contrarianism. And none of it makes any sense. Anyway, what I was going to say is I went to Louisiana Popeye Kitchen Chicken, whatever. I don't know. It's like three of those four words are probably included in the name, and I don't know what the sequence is. Chicken Louisiana Popeyes, you know, it's something like that. I go there, and I have this strong idea in my mind because of aesthetics and because of history and because of, like, some, it was presented to me. It's really about the on-ramp. It was presented to me correctly. I think about that so much because with music, there's something about how it's so hard to find the on-ramp. Like a, an artist will have a massive catalog of music and you have the potential in you to love all that music. But there's only like three of the 200 songs they've made that you could start with. And then once you've started with those, and they have, because, I don't know, they have some sort of mass appeal. They have something that works for you. When you've listened to those three that could get you going with them, now you love their voice. So now it opens it up to the next tier, which is like 50 songs, which is the songs you like in the beginning. And then when you really like those and you sort of listen to them too much, so you are sort of done with them, then that opens you up to the entire catalog of 200 songs. And I just really wish that we had a system to like measure that or mark that. Like I wish Spotify had something where it like, showed color-coded different songs to be like, this song is only for the people that already like, you know, Young Boy Never Broke Again. And then if you don't like Young Boy Never Broke, blah, 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 you know, if you don't like uh, Lil Windex or, you know, DJ Houseplant, um, then you got to go to the, the red. This one is color-coded red. But green is like where you start. And then it's all about the on-ramp and somehow Louisiana chicken fucking uh, deep fried kitchen. Um, it was presented to me in this way where like I was in China and I was I had had all fucking 500 types of Chinese food and I was tired of it. And I just wanted like some cool, interesting fast food and someone on Facebook or, you know, I don't even know, on, on WeChat, really. It wasn't Facebook, it was WeChat. It was WeChat moments. It was the part of WeChat where you go all the way into the app where, where you can post on a feed and it's the most closed, crazy-looking feed ever. It's so different from the infinite scroll feed of Western social media, but and it's so hidden away. But you get in there and someone that I've never met in real life posted about how fucking amazing it was that they could have... Um, Louisiana Popeye f fried chicken in China. And I got so enamored with the idea of having something that was contrasting to what I was having every day. And because of that, it created this strong, positive image in my head. And then I had it multiple times with, what was her name? I can't remember her name. The, speaking of like archetypes and 
I don't know. I think, I wonder if everyone feels like this, but I really feel like my brain is getting stupider and I'm ending up with like just a few slots in my brain for what it is to think of a person around me. So like last episode, I talked about how Doug that I work with, he really occupies the same slot as Dave because it's like a person who's older than me and has a lot of wisdom and I love being around them and they're smart and they're really funny. And there's like this overlay where you overlay the two people in my brain and they're just one person. And it's like this archetype. And when you say that, it really sounds disrespectful because it sounds like you're saying that they're replaceable. But really, it's just something about the loneliness of a human being because like when we see each other, we don't really see very much of each other, you know? We see a little bit of each other. And then based on that little bit that we see, there's an interchangeability. So what I was going to say is that there was like this goth girl in Seattle that I would hang out with. And she was this cute goth girl with bangs. And, and she just had this very specific vibe. And she had two pugs. And she just like was really appreciative of me and really positive and just like made me feel really good about myself. And then I moved down here and I go on a date with this girl, Katie, who listens to the podcast, shouts out to Katie. And I realized at some point, I realized at some point I had this realization that they weren't the same person because the trend that they like the transfer, the handover was so seamless like they're so they have such a similar vibe of like how they're funny but maybe more than being funny they are appreciative and positive and appreciative of me and like maybe they think I'm funny or maybe they make you know I don't want to speak for them you know and um but they make me feel like they think I'm funny <laughs> which is the most humble way I can think of to say that because I'm not very humble but so um, at some point I realized, I realized this like a year ago or something that because this, there was this seamless handover of how they have a very similar vibe, it has become, and it's true in this moment, it became incredibly difficult for me to remember the name of the girl in Seattle because she was completely plastered over with the image of Katie. So it's like, I don't know. And that, it's terrible because, like, they're not the same person. and Or, I mean, it feels disrespectful, but it shouldn't be interpreted as disrespectful because it's not. Like, I have so much respect for both of them individually. And, like, um, the Seattle Poly girl, there was so many. Like, she had so much of her own stuff going on, you know? She was so, like, she was one of the most, like, uh, story-intense, like, Every week of her life created a lot of stories. But I'm sure Katie would agree that that's how she also identifies. Katie also doesn't sleep very much and is on the dating apps always and is always going on dates with kind of guys who are kind of terrible. But the thing about terrible guys is that you end up with good stories, you know? So it's just like these cute goth, 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 slightly gothy, slightly tatted up really, really positive, chill vibe girls that have great stories. <laughs> and there's an interchangeability there that I don't want it to come off as um, disrespectful, but that's how it feels. And man, in my brain, it's just 
ending up with fewer and fewer slots. Or like, it's almost like I used to feel more like I didn't know people. And then now I feel like I know them, but really what I'm doing is I'm just cramming them into boxes. So instead of having just like a bunch of floating clouds in my brain, I have like 10 boxes. And when I meet someone and become friends with one of them, I just cram them into one of my 10 boxes. And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, this is my buddy from back of house that I really fucking love. But there is a chasm where we don't really connect because we're from these like polar opposite worlds with polar opposite cultures. But we appreciate each other and we appreciate that all the other people fail to make friends over this a uh, wide chasm between these two worlds. And we appreciate the effort that we both put in to seeing each other, you know? And am I talking about Miguel in Seattle or am I talking about Josh, Joshua Boshua, you know? Who knows? I'm talking about both of them. Because I have that box and I just crammed the guy into that box. But so what I was going to say is I went to the fucking... Um, yeah, oh man, I never even said it. Yeah, so I went to Louisiana Popeye Chicken Kitchen or whatever, and I never went in China, and then I was in Seattle, and the, and, um, the Seattle Polygoth girl, Polygoth sounds like, uh, Polygoth sounds like, you know, like polymath. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, she brought me to one of them, she brought me to one of them bitches. She brought me to Kent or something because we don't really have um, chain restaurants in Seattle so much. There wasn't one in Seattle, so we had to drive far south to have it. And we had it, and it wasn't that good. But the idea, the brand loyalty or like the positive, the power, the positive, powerful image of the brand in my head does not fade just because my in, my like real live interaction with the brand where I actually purchase and consume the goods and services of the brand just because I have a terrible experience very little of my brand loyalty fades you know this is I've never look until I started thinking about this while recording this episode, I never realized that I'm like an incredibly brand loyal person. And I think honestly, it's most of the time really fueled only by contrarianism and wanting to be unique. And like, that's like one of the just most one dimensional and least respectful ways of being brand loyal, where you're an Apple user just because most people are Windows users, you know? Just because most people have a PC, you you want to be that like a little bit different, a little bit better. So you buy a MacBook and it's like, okay, well, welcome to a world of terrible, like that's a terrible decision. That's a terrible decision. And now I'm using an iPhone and it is a worse phone. But that's probably mostly residual brand loyalty. To Samsung? Like, what are we even talking about here? But so, what I was going to say is, I went last week and I had Louisiana Popeye fried chicken, whatever, kitchen time. And I sat and I had it and I was meditating because I was alone and it was my day off. I was sitting in this thing and and I was meditating and I I was biting into the chicken and, and it was fucking terrible. And it's not actually that terrible, but... It is this flavor 
where I'm old enough now to know that that flavor and that crunch of just like deep fried breading on chicken and eating a meal that's like mostly breaded deep fried chicken, I know that that's going to make me feel almost like numb. Like my whole body goes numb almost. Like it's so unhealthy and it's so like there's such a lack of variety in like grains and fruits and fibers and and vegetables and meats and protein and carbs and like my body needs a little bit of each i really love meze meze you go and you order the the full plate and they give you just like nine little piles and it's like sauerkraut and it's like a little a cucumber salad and it's like a little bit of hummus and it's like a little bit of vegetables and a little bit of meat and a piece of pita and it's just like a little bit of everything and after that I feel fucking amazing and then when I go to Popeye deep fried kitchen it's like man I bite into it and as I'm meditating I can just know like this thing happens in my body where I just know the anticipation of how terrible I'll feel is already there with me. And I realized that I don't like it. And it's very similar to meditating and eating three pieces of candy over 10 minutes and and realizing that, man, just, I only like candy because I'm not paying attention. All right, let's drink another water. Water. I did the the thickest burn, (laughs) the thickest burn in a long time. I won't be able to recreate it. I'm just going to tell you about this joke. But I was walking around the restaurant just checking on stuff and telling people to do stuff because I'm a piece of shit and I should be doing it myself but instead I just walk around and I just see things that are wrong and I just delegate and delegate and delegate because I tell myself that then more stuff gets done but really I'm just a lazy piece of shit but so this bus tub was full of dirty dishes and Noah was just standing there so I look at Noah and I ask him to take the bus tub (laughs) and I lisped for some reason i had a lisp i was like bus tub and then and then noah noah looks at me and he goes you want me to take the bus tub and he lisped and made fun of me and i just i mean yeah i just laid down on the floor and i just said i will never be the same again and you have destroyed me and everyone laughed at me for about 10 minutes and noah just did a couple of victory laps for what of a you know, absolutely devastating burn that was. It reminds me of the Swedish, in in the moment even, oh man, there are certain lexical gaps that people ask me if I always think in English and it's like, yeah, I do. But then you hit this lexical gap where the top layer of English, there's just a hole in it. So you just see the layer beneath. There's just no word for that. Let's Google it. Yeah, I mean, there's it, it, ankle is the but but like we have a word for ankle. It's not about that. It's about the the lump or the bump that's on your foot. It's like the bump itself, because my mom always uses this hilarious expression of like that you get sawed off at your at your ankle bumps. It's like the lowest point. Like you get they. They, you get, oh God, fuck, I can't even, I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at this part where I'm supposed to translate something that's untranslatable. And it's about criticizing someone really, really hard that you don't, it's like the logic of I've had it up to here reversed, where you're like, he didn't, he didn't say it was like the top 10% was bad. He said the top 98% was bad and 
and he sawed me off at my foot bumps, at my ankle bumps. I've been thinking about that word, knöll, it's a really nice Swedish word that means bump, because it has this real onomatopoeia quality to it, K-N-L, English really lacks words that start with K-N, where you pronounce the K, like all those words that are clearly from German, and in German you fucking pronounce the K, I tell you, and then when you bring them into English, you keep the K, and you uh, make it silent, And you really lose something there, because there's something real aesthetic about those words. And I've been thinking about the word apfelknödel a lot recently, because for some reason I was talking to London about skiing and how that's like the skiing snack in in Switzerland and Austria and stuff. And and then, I don't know, man, I've just been thinking about what a crazy thing it is, because it's like, it means like apple lump, and it's basically like... um, apple pie but it's just a lump it's just like a ball shape it's a ball shape of dough dude the germans they do dough man like i remember when i was living in hangzhou there was this dessert place in the basement of a mall that opened up like two blocks from my house and even though i was living in a city of 20 million people where you can get anything i still managed to like get this like really sort of well-known simple time like it's a it's a feeling from a simple time when you when a store, a new store opens up close to you and you're like, oh, interesting. Let me go check that out. So this like enormous fucking 20 story mall opened up with this like food court, basement food court and below the food court and the even lower basement level of like dessert. And so you go to the lowest basement level and there was this German dessert place full of stuff I've never seen. And I just bought some stuff at random. And then I just developed a little bit of a, fucking taste for it and one of them was this like complete sphere of rock hard what we in swedish would call knicke which is another word uh it, it just it's hard bread it's what you call it in english it's like a bread that you serve it to americans and they think it's just bread that's like so insanely stale that why would you ever eat it and then sometimes you can convince them to eat it by calling it a cracker where you like because the word cracker implies that the crunchiness is um, intentional, that it's not something that went bad. Because a cracker that goes bad actually goes soft, you know? You heard it here first. This is a very educational episode. (laughs) But so this fucking ball was completely spherical, completely rock hard. And as you're leaving the store, the dessert place that mostly sold this, these balls, they had this cutting board by the door, like a very large wooden cutting board. And on the cutting board, there's a big wooden mallet, like a big hammer made of wood that's chained to the edge of the table. So it's giving you an opportunity to take your raw card. The ball is about the size of, you know, like a grapefruit, a little bit bigger than a grapefruit. So you're dealing with a little bit bigger than a grapefruit, rock hard, but it's like woven hard bread. It's like strips of hard bread woven over itself tightly until it's a ball big like um, a grapefruit. But the bread, the hard bread is like a sweet cinnamon, sugary hard bread. And then the outside of it is covered in a little bit of frosting. So you go there and you buy this rock hard ball of hard bread And then as you're leaving the store, you're supposed to go up to this cutting board and use the mallet and just 
bang the shit out of this ball so that it becomes something you can consume because it's literally impossible to get into it, most people think. Because I really developed a taste for these things and not crushing them with the mallet. I would go home and it's a ball and you can just, I would just put it up to my face and gnaw on the side of it and then get to a crack between two strips of hard bread and then just get my tooth in there and just like crack open a part and then just get into it. And it was like, you know, let me culturally translate this to the American. It was like string cheese, which is like both food and an activity. You feel me? Like this ball was, would take me hours to eat. And yeah, I don't know what they called it in German because everyone in there was Chinese, but I'm, I'm going to be a, assuming that it was called Knödel something, you know? It was a Knödel something for sure. Man, I wish what, wish I knew what that was. It's funny how we do we do value those experiences because I just tried to Google it and it's ungoogleable. Like the thing I'm trying to find. I mean, look, I don't. I'm just saying it's not the most famous thing in the world. And for some reason, we really value. Why do we value consuming stuff that isn't famous? Like, why is that cool? Why do we why do we want to be special? Like what like is it really that great to be special? Can't you just consume the stuff that like the most popular stuff is probably pretty good, you know? Because everyone's into it. So like why am I and I don't think most people want to be special, but for some reason I want to be special and it's like it has led me astray, you know? It made me leave Sweden. It made me live in China for way longer than I should have. It made me not go back to Sweden. It made me end up in America, and it has led me astray. Like, why do I want to be so special? I hate this. I hate that I want to be special. I hate that I love bragging about eating something that no one else has eaten. But yeah, I but I do. And like... <clears throat> I've had this experience like one or two times where I've had an opportunity to tell people about this dish. My abs, like when I lived a year in Hangzhou, there was this dish. It's called Pianertuan, and it's a noodle dish with strips of pork in a clear broth. And it's got a couple of different ingredients in there. And it's like really just a very good bowl of noodles. And we ate it at this place across the street from my house where, where I lived there. And the guy, it just had this incredibly hipstery way of being introduced to us because we, me and my wife at the time, we went around and looked at all these places and they were very expensive and very shitty. They weren't very expensive, but they were very shitty. And then we just were ended up hook, being introduced to this guy who owned a place and it was just so reasonably priced and he was just so nice and we became friends and he had a whole family and he would like take us and introduce us to restaurants and we would text with him and even as we were moving out, he even took us on vacation once and it was like the most genuine, wholesome, fucking, inc like it breaks my heart how I've had moments of not feeling alienated because I feel so fucking alienated right now and I could just... I could just cry like I feel so lonely and alienated right now. Like, what am I doing, bro? I have made only mistakes. 
But so he brought us to this restaurant that had this incredible noodle dish. And then it was seasonal where it had bamboo shoots in it. But the bamboo shoots are very seasonal because there's something really delicious about a tender, raw bamboo shoot. Like the tenderest, rawest, most beautiful bamboo shoot does not, it's not shelf stable. You have to dig down into the earth on a slope where you know that bamboo will grow. And you dig like half a foot down and you find the chute and then you pull it up and and then you take a big fucking cleaver machete knife and it's almost like getting into a coconut where you have to cut off all this layer and layer and layer of husk until you get to the very, very center. And it's like this pointy... It's almost the shape of a, let me culturally translate this and say, a candy corn. It's like a, a little thing like that, like a little um, pylon shape. So, and then they, that's only, it only happens once a year that the bamboo shoots happen like that. And they're not shelf stable. So when they, when they're in season they get a bunch of fresh bamboo shoots and they just raw slice them up real thin and throw them in the broth with the piano twine. And it is the most sublime, like incredible texture with the rich pork flavor and like this fatty broth with this simple, gent- like the, the taste of raw bamboo shoot straight from the mud slope. It's so gentle and it's this earthiness that's so sublime and so hard to describe. And then you have it and it's fucking delicious. And then two weeks later, the window has closed and you eat it every single day. And the restaurant is just insanely full. And you you end up like you can't get a seat. So you fucking stand in the middle of the road outside of the restaurant and eat your noodle because there's so many people and everyone wants it. And you don't give a shit. You like eat it standing. And the bowl is cracked and the chopsticks are dirty. And every, and the whole thing is like it's like a it costs fifty cents, you know, this bowl of noodles. It's like insanely cheap. It's like a dollar fifty or something ridiculous like that. And you eat it and it's incredible. And then you have this experience where it's seasonal and you like feel like you're part of the community because you know about this thing that's so fucking good and everyone goes crazy for it together. And it's like in that situation, and this is where it's so racist and one-dimensional, in that situation, I don't want to be special. I want to be like those people because those people don't look like where I come from, you know? Like, how fucking stupid is that? Like, why don't I want to be – like, I'm sure there are Chinese teenagers looking down on the throngs of people going to eat seasonal piano twin with my sh- <coughs> shitty juvenile instinct. My contrarian shittiness where they look at that and say, oh, everyone's so stupid. Everyone's like the same thing. I want something special. I want fucking Louisiana Popeye deep fried kitchen, you know? And then um, for some reason, like that doesn't kick in there because like, oh, it's so, I'm so one dimensional and I have so many boring opinions. But then what I was going to say is, once or twice ever after that's like now you know that's almost that's like eight nine years ago that i lived in that one year in hangzhou and and stuff and like once or twice i've run into someone from hangzhou and i've had a conversation with them long enough where i could be like hey man don't you really miss the piano twine and then what happens what happens there is like first of all 
it's so like they oh god i'm such a why i like it isn't connectedness it's just that they think i'm cool and i just want to be cool like it's not let's not kid ourselves here it's not anything like that it i i was going to be like yeah i have such a deep emotional connection with them when we both like look in each other's eyes and we talk about that one or two weeks when the fucking bamboo shoots are perfect and you have the piano trend and then the third week you can already tell that the the bamboo shoots are a little bit fibrous and they're just not the same. And then the fourth week they're boring. And then at the fifth week, they don't even put them in there. And then after that, it's like preserved ones. And then after that, it's like, eh, you know, who even cares? It's not the shoot anymore. They just, now it's just bamboo. But, but then you talk about that first week when the shoots are perfect and you look in each other's eyes and you both know that you both love it and you feel so connected to each other, even though you're so different and like, man, I made a grown man cry, you feel me? I made a grown man cry talking about that dish because, man, people love that dish. And then you can be like this Anthony Bourdain fucking asshole type character and be like, no, but like food is like this deep human experience. And it's like, I don't know, man, I'm just depressed all the time. I wouldn't know the first thing about it. I'm just sad. I'm just sad and my brain isn't working very well and I have fewer and fewer slots in my brain and I just like, I'm getting really, my brain is getting really lazy and when I meet people, I just shove them into these 10 slots in my brain and I don't even really get to know people anymore and, you know, I just do the same stuff. I really try not to though. I really try not to. I really try to run away from nostalgia and all of that because I'm I'm now I'm in my mid 30s. I think mid 30s is a period. I think this is really universal. How there's an up and a down in your life of how susceptible to nostalgia you are. Like as a 19-year-old, you are not susceptible to nostalgia because you haven't lived it long enough. And then some people already at 25 can come up with something where they ironically go back to what they did when they were 15. And they wear fucking crop tops or some shit. But then when you hit your mid-30s, and I see this in Brit so much, like Brit and me are the same age and we grew up with so much of the same imagery and she just has this like really clear, healthy way of adjusting to the world where she just will enjoy stuff and I will deny myself stuff. And man, you know, I read this uh, piece in uh, The New Yorker because I'm a piece of shit, pretentious person. And my internet is so slow that only half of the piece loaded. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I only, I read this thing and it was like Mark Andreessen from like this, really the first and biggest VC venture capitalist group is uh, Andreessen and Horowitz or whatever. And then that guy, there was this one sentence in it that really spoke to me where like, oh, we can really talk about this. I thought about it because I said self-denying. Um, let me read the sentence. I copied it down. The few, he, Andreessen, he never talks about his family or his upbringing. And then the piece goes like this. The few details Andreessen let slip to me suggested a climate of antiquity, superstition, frustration, and penury. Wow, I don't even know what penury means. God damn it. Okay, let's sidebar. Let's look that up. Extreme poverty. Okay. 
But so he's talking about his upbringing and, and stuff. So he grew up in a climate of an antiquity, superstition, frustration, and penury. And then quotation mark. This is a quote from him. The natural state of human beings is to be substance farmers. And that was my expectation, he said, adding that his world was Scandinavian, hardcore, very self-denying people. Oh, his world was Scandinavian, hardcore, very self-denying people who go through life never expecting to be happy. And it's so, let's talk about this feeling I have right now. So it's so funny when you have something that you feel is true and you think about it a lot, but you don't have the language for it and you try to develop the language for it. So I wrote an entire book trying to explain that just circling it, never really putting my finger on it. The novel is a failure. And then you get this, it's like a sidebar. It's just like this subclass, subjunctive clause in a sentence about something else for him, you know? For him, the idea that Scandinavian hardcore and self-denying go hand in hand is like obvious. And to me, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was the soul of my people. But yes, I am like an incredibly self-denying person, I think. Let's think about that. I was super hedonistic when I was younger, and it really led me astray. And I don't know. I don't know that those words are really that helpful. I think they, I don't know. I don't think this is very interesting. I feel like I was going to review this water, and I never even did. Did I not review this water? Crystal Geyser Sparkling Spring Water with sp Sparkling Spring Water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I started talking about Noah. Because I am I developing a lisp? Am I developing a late uh, late in life uh, fucking uh, speech impediment? Because I think I am. Natural lemon flavor. Look, I don't even know if I've already reviewed this. I didn't look it up. I didn't Google my own lyrics. So we're just going to drink it. That's a 9 out of 10. Lemon. It's lemon-flavored sparkling water, and it's why we do this. <clears throat> because every, anything bigger than that, anything bigger than a watery flavor with a little bit of a lemon flavor is too much for my Scandinavian heart. I'm very self-denying, so I'll, I'll, I'll drink water, and I'll eat hard bread. And maybe we carbonate the water, not soda. Maybe we carbonate the water and add a little bit of lemon, and that's the fanciest I'll go, you know? I won't give myself any sugar, and I won't give myself any more flavor than that because of who I am. And I'm a miserable piece of shit. Like, I'm a miserable son of a bitch, you know? And it's like, I'm not a piece of shit, and I'm not a son of a bitch, but I am what I... Like, you know how I feel? I feel like in that TV show Maniac where... There's this one line where, oh, God, the best, probably the best part of that entire show is where they take this drug and the computer scans their brain while they take the drug and they all hallucinate and have these big experiences. And then afterwards, this other computer looks into their pupils and they ask them questions. And there's like a little ticker that ticks up and down depending on how truthful they're being with their fucking soul. And then uh, Jonah Hill's character, ooh, I've said this on the podcast probably 10 times, but uh, the the weird connection here is like the goth girl in Seattle whose name I can't remember because she occupies the same slot as Katie and her name has been overwritten by Katie. 
she um, used to be Dustin Hoffman's uh, personal assistant and Dustin Hoffman's kid daughter uh, dated Jonah Hill for a bit. So she had all these stories about Jonah Hill. And anyway, so Jonah Hill in the show is super sad. And she always said that super sad Jonah Hill in Maniac is the closest to what he's actually like in reality. And that's a an image and a feeling that I hold on to so strongly because it makes me feel less alone. The idea that Jonah Hill is out there feeling like that in for real seas and not just method acting his way through it is making me feel less alone because that's how I feel. And then there's this one part of it that's almost too it's too almost too hokey and too on the nose because the whole show is really sad but then there's this one part where he like says the sad thing out loud and what he says is he goes you know that movie it's a wonderful life and it's like if i didn't exist it would be this and this and this but this the thing about my life is if i didn't exist everything would be the same and it's like i i do this for me and it's like an incredibly sad thing cuz it's like a statement about how you're not a piece of shit and you're not a good person. You're just nothing. Like you have no effect on the world. And I I do this sobriety program and I have three years of sobriety and I do the AA and blah, blah, blah. And, and so much of it is right sizing where I used to go between just feeling like I was the absolute smallest person in the world to feeling like I'm the biggest person. And then when I I get myself to the middle and realize that I'm like everyone else. It's like that has this like other dark side to it where I feel like that must mean that I am interchangeable. But really, now that I say that out loud, that's me feeling small again. Like feeling like you have no effect on the world is that you're is the act of feeling like you're small and meaningless. You know, half of the time I feel I have a Jesus complex and half of the time I feel like I'm completely small and meaningless. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. There's absolutely no point to what I'm talking about. But but at least when I work myself up into like a thing here where I get on a roll and I just like rant, at least then I like crowd out whatever I'm feeling with this just like weird like really obsessive not obsessive but like there's like a weird unnatural intensity to the ranting on the podcast that's like strong enough that it numbs me to how I feel so when I sit here in my house feeling all anxious and depressed and sad and shitty all day and I hold them looking forward to podcasting, it's because at least for an hour and a half, I know that I can like whip myself up into this like weird frantic state of ranting, which is a break from how I, my normal feeling. But God, today is a, like a really bad day. I do not feel good today. <sighs> I wonder about the video games. I'm playing a little bit of video games. Not too much, actually. And I am so, like, sort of sad and weird that I actually struggle to even really get into video games. But I'll do an hour and a half. And 
I wonder, because I don't actually know the answer, I wonder if they're making me feel better or worse. Like, do I feel more... I, I, I kind of have a theory that they're making me feel better. Because I'm really deliberate about picking them. Like, I pick ones that just have a right, a, a positive vibe with like a really sort of huge story arc where there's some big thing and people say that it's epic. And if I start playing it, it doesn't feel epic and fantastic. Then I stop playing it. And it's like, I don't know. I think it's making me feel better. Kavika at work recommended like 35 fucking video games to me. And all of them were like, it's so funny. Kavika is, um, love the guy. I do really love the guy. And he is like a really sort of platinum, platinum level nerd. And I think he wouldn't be mad if I said that because I think he takes pride in that. And as he should, nerds are very powerful people. And um, he recommended all these different video games to me. And then I, I, I do this thing where I like Google. I want a certain feeling in a video game. Like I want to be, for example, I want to be like flying through space and I want it to like look photorealistic and neon and super beautiful but I want it to have a fluid, flying, beautiful, incredible feel to it. And then I want it to also have a story and not be online. And like I have 20 different things I want about the game. So I put all that into Google and try to Google out the game that I'm looking for. And it does not work very well. Like you cannot Google 20 keywords to get the right video game. And so recently I realized that I should just be asking Kavika. And so I asked Kavika and then he like was like, yeah, yeah. So the game you're describing is called Elite Dangerous. And I'm like, well, that's a weird name. And also I've never heard of it. And he's like, yep, it's what you want. It's like a space flying game where you can, you can like, you can be, you can do a dog fighting and be a fighter and stuff, but you can also just sort of fly through space and, and transport goods between through space and I was like, okay, okay, interesting premise, interesting premise. So I play this game and it's like, it falls apart on how, it falls apart on the most hilarious thing. Like it's, the, the, it falls apart on the nerdiest thing you'll ever imagine. It's like you fly a spaceship and you have to learn and use and remember and fluidly use every single key on the keyboard is in use. Like it's not, six keys or eight keys it's literally like everything and i'm like i'm just i i could i spent like an hour and a half it was like i don't know i think i fucked it up because i played half of the tutorial with a um, controller and then i switched switched to i'm saying this because i don't want to admit that i'm stupid i switched mid tutorial to keyboard and mouse because it just didn't work with the controller because it doesn't have enough buttons. So all these different things to show up as error messages. So I can't do them because I don't have enough buttons. So then I switched to keyboard and mouse halfway through and now it's too late. So now I'm just this, this spaceship in space, just going sideways into a wall, just like, da-dunk, da-dunk. And now I'm going forward into a wall, ga-dunk, ga-dunk. And it's like, now I'm going sideways into a wall and I'm trying to press all the buttons and whatever happens, I'm just going sideways into a wall. And it's like, bro, Kavika, chill the fuck out. Can you recommend something to me that's a little bit less nerdy? Like, I get that you know about a game that's 135% nerdy, but like, can we chill a little bit on that? And can we, can you recommend something to me that's maybe like 75% nerdy? And then he, he, 
he took that information, and I, this is something I respect about the guy. He took that information, he listened to what I said, he absorbed it, and he just spitted out a new recommendation, and it was fucking amazing. He recommended some new game called Titanfall 2. Super chill. Totally on my level. Incredible. Anyway, um, let's talk, let's keep talking about video games, but let's talk about a different thing. So I had this flashback for some reason. This is related to nostalgia and Brit and stuff. Like Brit will lean into the nostalgia of when she was 17 and stuff, because we're both like in our mid thirties now. And then I had this flashback to a video game I played in my early teens and I remembered it being like so good. And when I say so good, I mean, I remember having this feeling in my heart, like this brutal obsessive feeling. Like I just have to get towards this. I have to move towards this feeling. I have to move towards this thing. And it's like, I couldn't really remember what the game looked like. I couldn't remember what what it was called. And I couldn't remember like very much about it, but I could remember sort of which era of my life it was. And I could remember that I never like had it myself because it was sort of a period in my life before I had a computer at my own house. I was like 12 or something. So I was at Marcus Edholm, my best friend at the time. He had a PC at his house, like a shitty PC, but it ran some games. So we played it at his house. And I just remember never getting enough, like wanting that. What I remembered was the feeling I had towards the game. And so I sat and I thought about the feeling and like the obsessive feeling and what the feeling was and how I felt it. And like, and then I started Googling, what the fuck was that game? And I started Googling like, the wrong thing first, because I remember it was something with the word heroes, maybe, and maybe mythology or some shit. And then I get to the crazy, here's the first crazy thing about it. I start putting just a few words into Google and then Google auto-filled the whole thing. And the auto-filled thing was the first hit. It just, Google auto-filled basically what was the first hit when you Google it. And the first hit was a YouTube video called Is Heroes of Might and Magic 3 Really as Amazing as You Remember It? And when I see that, I felt so seen and I felt so connected to the world because I realized that I'm at an age where you become nostalgic because it's been 20 years since you were a teenager. So you're not ready to look back. 25-year-olds are not ready to look back, as I talked about. Mid-30s, you're uh, ready to look back. And when you look back on your entire life and you look back on the strongest feelings you've ever had, people my age, many of them look back. And one of the strongest feelings we ever had was playing Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Not one, not two, not six, not seven. I googled it. There were seven. Three. Three is the one people were obsessed with. And so I sat and I thought about the feeling and when I felt the feeling in relation to the game and stuff. And I realized that I actually have a very similar feeling towards the board game Settlers of Catan. Like, I have to pretend, I have to just play it cool. But when someone uh, suggests playing Settlers of Catan, I, out loud, I say, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I mean, I'd, I'd play Settlers with you. But in my heart, I'm like, 
Oh my god. Let's play Settlers of Catan. And the feeling I have is so centered around just the first two minutes of the game. After, like, because it's what I'm really, what really gets me going is like the weird gambling moment of when the board is created and you get to put your thing down and you get to put your thing down in relationship to resources and stuff. And it's like the vast, open, like, infinite possibility feeling mixed with gambling, mixed with, like, an a random element and, like, how I'm going to build something and there's, like, an infinite possibility, infinite combination thing combined with random and gambling, combined with a competitive element. Like, those things mix in my brain and create this, like, incredible feeling of euphoria that lasts so short. Because once you get going with a, with a game of Settlers of Catan, it's like, once you're going, it's like, it's fine. But it's like, it's really about that incredible vista in your soul. You're standing on a table mountain, looking out over, you know, this incredible valley of possibility. And, and it's that feeling in the beginning, the first five minutes of the process of playing Settlers of Catan, that feeling I have there is a feeling I also have when I play um, Heroes of Might and Magic. And the crazy thing is, so because I sat and I thought about it and I thought about how deep and big that feeling was, I decided without even clicking the link, um, it's Heroes of Might and Magic 3, as good as you remember, YouTube link that everyone my age clicks because we all had this, we all had the same feeling at the same time where we were like, wow. And then we all ask ourselves, was that that good? And I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready to spend 15 bucks just to look at it, just to, and look, I just said I avoid nostalgia. Like, I, I don't like nostalgia. I think nostalgia is, it's, it's you know, it's laziness. Nostalgia is really the laziest form of entertainment. It's the retreading of old, like, it's so, I am much more in the opposite camp, which is the Grimes camp of we have to force ourselves to enjoy or like to not enjoy, but consume media and stuff, art that does not initially appeal to us so that we can get over the hump, so that we can try something new, so that we can enjoy something new, which is really related to what I was saying about how I wish Spotify would color code songs so that the on-ramp songs are a special color so that you can make it easier to get into new things because it's really hard to get into new things because we're so lazy. Our souls, our spirits are like lazy in and of themselves. And really the la the laziness just pushes us towards nostalgia and fuck, I hate nostalgia. And <clears throat> so I, I will admit that this is a type of nostalgia, but really it was also a meditation exercise where I was like looking at how deep that feeling was in me when I was 12 and thinking about how deep that feeling was and then being like, could I feel that again? And then usually, like sometimes I've gone back and looked at old video games and usually it's really held back by just how they're so fucking ugly when you look at them with modern eyes that you can't. You can't spend more than like 30 seconds in that world and then you're like, oh, this is just like a brown, sloppy, pixelated mess and I don't want to fuck with this. But somehow, with with Heroes on Might and Magic 3, they released an HD version where, and this is really like a beautiful 
thing. Somehow, you know, like back then computers were so shitty that they made everything and you got a product and what you actually played was this really pixelated thing. But what they made before it became a pixelated thing on your computer was like a high-res image of a animated creature or landscape. And so what, when they did the HD version, they just used the original things that weren't dumbed down. And I really think that there's a lesson in there for like, I don't know, for not that many people, you know, for people making things with, um, I don't know. It, it takes an incredible amount of foresight to be like, how am I holding myself back because technology is, is holding me back? How could I make something now that can't even be enjoyed now because the technology doesn't even exist for it. And then later, 30 years from now, the technology will exist. I don't know. I really want to write like a, <clears throat> I really want to start working on like a feature film movie script because I think within 18 months, you can probably just paste a fucking script into the AI and the AI will just frame by frame make the film for you with just computer generated imagery it will just be like page one you just fucking describe what the characters look like and then you know page five this thing starts and you just format it like yep the landscape looks like this and then this is the dialogue and the two people are like this and it's like just like a script i think it's scripts are already made to be visualizable with their fucking brackets and all the different conventions around the different stuff. So it's already a format where I don't even think we need to change the format that much. We can just give scripts the way they are. Like computers will just learn how to read movie scripts and then turn them into movies. And then also like, if you, <laughs> I haven't even thought of this, but if you give all the scripts in the world to the computer and then all the movies in the world and tell them like, okay, so, this script produced this movie. Now reverse engineer that process frame by frame. And so I think within 18 months, you can probably just give a feature film fucking script to a computer. So I should work on one. And then just in the beginning, it'll come out so globby and weird. Like AI art now is so, the limitations are so strange and spooky. Like, like text comes out all globbed and people come out having like four eyes because the computer can't really count eyes properly. So it, it'll make like a photorealistic, perfect rendering of Barack Obama's face, but it'll give him, it'll accidentally give him four eyes because the computer is like so good at rendering him recognizably, but so bad at counting basic things. It's like such strange, unpredictable limitations. Anyway, what was I talking about? Yeah, Heroes of Might and Magic 3. So even before, I didn't even look at this video of like, is this game actually as good as you remember it? I just downloaded it and I started playing it today. And the crazy thing is that it's fucking great. It looks great. And it's like, just like with Settlers, when I do new game, the first two minutes are like all body high because you're this little guy and you have a little city and a little hero. And the hero can walk around and the city can be upgraded. And there are roads and the, the landscape that you can explore around you is just littered with like treasure and monsters and all this stuff. And it's just all these colors and it's incredible. And, <clears throat> and I was playing it. 
um, trying to look at how it made me feel and realizing that the crazy thing is that this game is making me feel exactly the way it made me feel when I was 12 years old. Like, I am just as exhilarated and I find it just as thrilling and the openness and freedom and like the, the combination of randomness and infinite possibility and competition and me having like, it's very, it's actually very settlers-esque because you like start with one city and one hero and then you move around. Like settlers doesn't have heroes, but it, but it does have a moving around feature of like you build roads and stuff. And so you expand over the map in, in the, much the same way on, in Heroes of Might and Magic 3, you, you expand over the map. And <clears throat> in a very similar way to, to Settlers, it's like once you're really deep into it, because I ended up playing it for like fucking six hours today, once you're really deep into it, when if I wasn't doing – if I didn't have like a strong meditation habit, I would just play it and I would just play it for 10 years now. But because I – just sit there all fucking day looking at how I feel. I noticed that once I'm three hours into it, I'm actually not bored, but like I'm really just frustrated by the tug of war of the computer has taken over the half of the map and I've taken over the half of the map. And there's like very, there's not infinite possibilities. And I'm really just trying to like fix these holes in my defense. And it's really just this completely different feeling that's more stressful and not nice. And then I was thinking about that and I realized how it's like so similar to everything with me. And so similar to like my issue with like relationships with women. Because I have this like thrilling beginning phase where there's like a randomness and there's an infinite possibility trope or like idea and it's competitive. <laughs> okay. That's a joke. That's such a boring joke. That is such a boring joke. But maybe if I was riffing with another person in the room, it wouldn't be such a boring joke. <sighs> but, like, the way I feel seven months into a relationship or four months into a relationship or seven hours into a session of Heroes of Might and Magic 3 or, you know, 70 minutes into a game of Settlers of Catan, where with Settlers, you end up in this corner where, like, everyone else has, like, encircled you with their stupid roads, and now you're getting resources in a trickle, and you, even if you're leading, it's like, even if you're winning, it's like, nah, it's boring made me think of many things. It made me think of how, oh, there's so many things about the, because it, it really highlights the difference between now and when I was 12 years old in me. And so it highlights one difference is like, I was so bad at video games when I was 12 years old because I didn't fucking speak English and all the games were in English. So I was just like pressing the buttons and you can get surprisingly far just following the icons around, but you never win. Like you play seven hours and then you lose. And it's like, because there's this one layer of strategy and like reading the instructions for fucking items and equipables and magic and the spells. Like you really only figure out the fucking fireball spell or the shield spell, but everything else, like what the fuck is a feather? You know, what the fuck is a, 
is a gas cloud with a heart in it, you know? Like, you need language for some of it. But so it highlighted that that different in, in me, but then it also is just like, dude, the world was so... Like, we are aware of this, but, like, the world is so different, different when you can Google anything. Like, just anything. And in a way, it's worse now. Because there was this feeling that wasn't all good. It's really, no, it's really not worse or better. It's just different. Where it's like, there was this feeling before when you have a puzzle where you just really have to try with the puzzle and the puzzle ends up in a, like, com- you, you, you end up with a complete focus. Like in the mid-90s, you could be completely focused on a puzzle and no part of your brain is saying, shit, man, just look up the solution. Because there is no way to look up the solution. So you just bang your head against the wall. And then when you get it, that's like a unique positive experience. And then when you don't get it, which is most of the time, it's like this very, you're, you become so jaded to that level, of, that frustration, where you take it for granted. That, like, man, my childhood was like me just taking it for granted. I recorded the whole podcast, not even checking that I'm speaking into the right part of the mic, but I am. I am speaking into the right side of the mic. I am speaking into the right side of this um, burnt umber sock. But it also made me think of how back in the day, or like when I was younger, there was so much media that I consumed because it was just like you go to a store and you consume what's on the shelf and some guy in the store decided what was on the shelf and I consumed so much shitty media. Like I played so many shitty video games because it was just the one that they had for sale that day. And then the process now, like how much goes into my fucking thinking about which video game I should play next. It's like, I don't know. It's almost sad. This, the wire cutter, the wire cutter feeling is also not a good feeling of just like, Instead of just, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like the wire cutter from the New York Times is this thing, right? Where you go and you read reviews. So you end up buying the best of whatever you're looking for. And then like before we used to just go and buy what's on the shelf. But then I was um, listening to this podcast about Walmart and the origin of Walmart and and they talked about stores and how before Walmart, Walmart wasn't the absolute first to um, realize it or in, um, invent this, but like they were the third store in all of America that did this, where like you have the customer just walk in the store and they get to walk around and grab what they want off of the shelf. And uh, then you go to a a cash register and you pay for it over there. Like, and that, when that idea is presented to you and you've never heard of the idea, it's not that obvious that it will work. Like, what if they just steal everything, you know? Which is very similar to like the same 
a thought experiment with self-checkouts or with even like the Amazon stores where you just, you go in and you just have an Amazon account and you just leave and it just automatically, I don't even know how those things work. Unmanned fucking grocery stores run by the Amazon corporation. But so what I was thinking about is like how before the Walmart thing, before Walmart invented that you get to go, okay, so they didn't invent it. There were already two stores and the guy fucking Walton, Sam Walton or whatever, he heard that there's uh, two stores in America, two stores in some fucking place in the South where the customer, I keep almost saying guest because like when you work in hospitality, you're taught never to say the word customer, always replace it in your mind by the word guest. But it's really silly to talk about everyone who walks into a Walmart as a guest. <laughs> That's a little bit too much hospitality. Let's scare let's dial back to hospitality just a smidgey smidge. So the the thing is like back in the day before Walmart, you would go into the store and you'd be like, "Hey, I want a hose." And then the guy at the counter will go in the back, get a hose, bring it to you, charge you, you know, 12 cents, and you'll go you'll be on your merry way. And it's like that's there's a part of me that I suffer, dude. I suffer when I want to buy a new watch and I have to buy the best watch in the whole world because the world is at my fingertips and the ocean is at my doorstep. I have to, this is, that comes with that freedom, comes with this incredible amount of pressure that I can't just buy any watch. It needs to be perfect. It needs to be from like a completely unknown brand and it needs to look so cool and it needs to have the exact perfect functionality and it needs to have an infinite battery life and everything about it needs to be perfect and it needs to be like less than $80. And that's somewhere out there on the internet. And then I spend like, these torturous hours not finding it. And then I compromise and I find something. And then I feel the whole time after I place the order, I'm like, see things that are better. Or I ask, I see things and I ask myself, is this better? And then I have this weird sense of remorse. And really, I'm certain it was a worse time to be alive, but I just long for that feeling of walking, the simplicity of it all, you know? And it's really like <clears throat> what the stupid fucking business book the paradox of choice is about because the paradox of choice is about how yeah you think you're going to be happy when you get to choose yourself but it's there are so many ways that you can put set up an experiment and show that in so many different types of scenarios more choice actually makes us unhappier it's so fascinating to me because my life is all choice all of the time so like I when I was a kid I I played this one Super Nintendo game called Earthworm Jim. It's like a side scrolling thing where you have like a you're a worm and you have a gun and you can jump and you can shoot the gun and it's like a shit game. And then you you're a worm so like there are these like hooks so you can like hook your end to the thing and swing yourself and <clears throat> and it's like not a good game. And if I had any sense of like if I was a discerning customer, I wouldn't have played it. But, and I would have played Donkey Kong Country or, you know, yeah, I don't know, Super Mario. But I never had the Super Mario shit. I had fucking Earthworm Jim. And then, you know, 
playing Earthworm Jim and not worrying about it, just playing it is maybe being that guy who walks into the store and walks up to the counter and says, hey, can I have a hose? Or like be like, hey, can I buy a watch? And then he gets you a watch and it's like, that's $9 and you pay $9 and you're like, thanks. It's like I was unhappy with the Earthworm Jim and I'm unhappy now. So yeah, okay, anyway, I'm always unhappy. Everything just sucks. And whenever I am seven hours into a game of Heroes and Might and Magic 3, I feel the same as... I just want to get back to the beginning. I just want to get back to that beginning feeling of infinite possibility. And it's like, that's my problem with relationships with women. Romantic relationships. I shouldn't say with women. Maybe I should... <clears throat> maybe I should get, go back to dating dudes. Um, romantic relationships. That's my problem with... Um, I, I get into the romantic relationship and the possibilities are no longer infinite. And that's what makes it good. Like, that's the point. The lack of infinite choice, all the things we choose not to do to be in the thing is what gives it meaning, is the point of the book 4,000 Weeks. And it's like the collapsing tree of all the things we don't do the the infinity of that the bigness of that tree of things we don't do is what makes the thing we do holy and sacred i could have a podcast about anything and it's the infinity of that anything that makes the sparkling water so sacred. Praise be. Oh, fuck. I'm so sad and anxious right now. And like, man, life sucks. Life really fucking sucks. Anyway, I love you guys. If you listen to the podcast, maybe tell your friend about the podcast. But really, who cares? Like, it's really not the point. It's really not the point. I love you guys. Thank you.